they'll know I just have to keep sharing the message and uh, reaching out and change is going to come. I really Amen. Amen, sir. We're going live right now. It takes a few minutes to load up. We'll introduce you. Everybody can start sharing it on their platforms. Lauren's going to help us to make sure we man all the questions here. What's going on, everybody? Joe Irostic here from Metro Praise International Church, Chicago for Jesus. And something I like to do called What Do You Believe? Uh, something that we do on Facebook quite often out of our church, you know, bringing a Pentecostal worldview to the world you live in, answering a lot of the, you know, the toughest questions you're facing as Christians. Well, today we've got back with us our special guest, Pastor Quinar Childress, and I'm so happy to have him with us. Last time he joined us from Washington on the phone. Today we get him full force in video. And the whole idea behind this was, is as I was beginning to share the Christian uh, pro-life message, people began to come against me saying, well, if you are going to get on us for voting for pro-choice, you know, politicians or supporting the Democratic Party, and they have this in their stance, then you need to feel just as bad because you support, uh, you know, Donald Trump and Donald Trump's a racist. And so I started to put out some of these memes, you know, and memes sometimes help us get across the point. And here's one of the memes that I, I put out there. And this is really why I wanted Pastor to be on with us today. So it's not just an African-American issue today. This is all across the board. If you call yourself a Christian and you're not convicted about pro-choice candidates or the Democratic Party platform, he's going to be speaking to you today. But just, this would be an example of one of the memes that I put up, Plank Eye Disease and Politics. And it says here in Matthew 7, 3 through 5, you know, why look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And a lot of people stop right there and they go, hey, you know, we're not supposed to judge one another. Get, you know, get the plank out of your eye first. You can't get the speck out of my eye. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, get the speck out so you can take your brother's plank out. I'm not just supposed to live my own life looking for my own plank or speck somewhere off in a monastery somewhere. I'm actually supposed to get right in my seed so I can help you, okay? So he says, take the speck out of your eye. When all He says, uh, you hypocrite, verse 5, take the plank out of your eye first, rather. Then you will clearly be able to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the whole point of this is help each other to get planks out of eyes and specks out of eyes. Now, I am not a Republican by classification. I am a conservative independent and will vote Republican when it fits best with, you know, the agenda that they have in, in, in my uh, ideas. And so here's just something as an example I put up. The Democratic plank eye is I support murdering over 800,000 children in the womb each year. But I'm going to now teach you, the independent conservative, about how to do health care, immigrations, women's rights, and diversity. Help us, Jesus. So, Pastor Kennard, it's good to have you on. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing great and enjoyed your, uh, <laughs> uh, your graphics there. Certainly, uh, the victim needs to be visualized, but it needs to be also linked to the party that has basically made it their platform, sadly enough. And uh, I was just thinking about that night when they introduced uh, their platform and uh, Jesse Jackson came on, who was once a great uh, pro-life activist, uh, but when he wanted to be president, he sold his soul. And he said, basically, um, when the announcer said, well, what happened to uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident? 
uh, that all mankind is created equal and endowed by the creator. Well, he said, well, maybe we shouldn't have used that word. <laughs> I, said, I said, that's it. <laughs> we're, we're really just becoming totally, uh, our politicians becoming totally absorbed by the, by the spirit of antichrist. There's no other, because it's without logic. I mean, anybody with logic would be able to rationalize and say that's the wrong position based on that document, based on that particular verse in the Declaration of Independence. But um, they're sold out to ideology. And we have to recognize that that's a darkness. And that's the darkness of the mind and the soul. And, and so uh, I often say if abortion was not lucrative, it would not be legal. Many people are lured into it simply for that reason. But it's also power. But we also have to recognize there is the elitists who basically strongly feel that we need less people of color uh, and we need to be able to manage those who are here. And therefore, we want to emphasize social engineering as much as we can in our ideology. And that sadly can be seen in South America, Africa, whenever, uh, especially over the past, not this administration, but the past administration, the Obama administration with Hillary Clinton, um, it was it was outrageous what they were doing to countries that would not accept abortion, would not accept same-sex marriage. Their funds were being stripped away. Um, but such as Uganda, I believe, they took a stand. But we have to recognize that this was the agenda, but the, the agenda of the elite and your, your, your example there, your graphics there, really just put it the way it is. This is what it is. And so we need to recognize that and uh, judge accordingly. Yeah, and so help me understand. By the way, Pastor Clenard is in charge of Black Genocide. Go to his website, check it out. You can also find it on Facebook. You run the Black Genocide website, correct? Yeah, blackgenocide.org. My, my good friend, Mark Crutcher of Life Dynamics, uh, com, but he's also the creator, uh, the chief facilitator of My Alpha 21, which has been a great help to uh, us getting our message out. Wonderful. Jared, put that in the links. I have some people with me as well from Metro Praise. They're just going to be co-hosting a little bit in the background helping us today. So help me understand this because I am not as astute in the politics as you are, and I'm trying to get better. So at one point, a Christian could vote Democrat and not necessarily be supporting all of the ungodly things, especially murder in the womb, right? What, what actually changed? Was it that Jesse Jackson time when they voted it in, or was it more recently when abortion became the major issue with homosexuality? Like, like what I'm trying to say is when did democratic politics really become so anti-God and anti-Christ? You know, I have discussed this with Dr. Avita King uh, because I felt and she agreed with me that it was actually during the civil rights movement that uh, Dr. King's life was very much in danger. I forget which city he was in. It was either in Selma, Montgomery, one of the, the Southern cities. And they had asked Kennedy to send in troops, John F. Kennedy. And John Kennedy at first did not do so, but the father uh, of Martin Luther King got on the phone with the president and said, if you would do this, he said, I guarantee you X millions of votes come the next election, you know? And so 
that's what he did. He was, uh, John F. Kennedy was, all, first of all, pro-life and pro-marriage uh, and a Democrat, <laughs> but he, he undoubtedly was pro-civil uh, rights. But his, as you well know, his party was not. It was the Democratic Party that was blocking all civil rights legislation. And so um, with that, when that move went down, uh, there was a great allegiance to John F. Kennedy and the Kennedy administration. And there was enough Democrats that came on board to get the legislation passed. But um, that endeared um, African-Americans to John F. Kennedy, who was then um, a, a Democrat. Now, Johnson, to be quite frank with you, was one of the biggest racists around, but he was, very, he was an intelligent racist. He knew how to carry that message. He saw how it worked for John F. Kennedy. He continually and he fulfilled all, which is really extraordinary because it really wasn't his personal position, but he felt it'd be better for the nation. I, and, I, and I give him respect for that, um, from everything that I've read. Um, and so he facilitated the rest of John F. Kennedy's uh, beginning of uh, promising and fulfilling uh, civil rights legislation after his death. Uh, and the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So that's how it began to shift. Okay, so it, so this idea that the Republicans became the Democrats, the racists, is actually the myth. What really happened was there was a Democrat that became pro-civil rights for a yes. season, but then after he left, they kind of went back to what they'd always been, right? Is that my understanding that right? Well, the legislation at that point was passed, but but they had a very skilled strategy in that they were just going to now, they needed those votes. They they uh, they wanted the votes. Uh, Johnson got had a high percentage of, of, of that vote uh, when he went for the, the president, when he ran for the presidency. So the thing was to have programs, of a lot of social programs, that would basically endear the African-American to the party. But these were uh, social programs that weren't really creating upward mobility. It was entrapping them in uh, poverty and the, the welfare system was a disaster. But at that point, the leadership of the African-American community did not really uh, examine or really, you know, they said, well, this is a beginning, perhaps, or this is a piece of the pie. Uh, they dropped their values. It was the beginning of dropping of values. Why? For many people don't know, in order for the African-American, fam those families to get the welfare assistance, the, the, the male could not be in the house. Mm. And so anyone who knows anything about sociology and the structure of the family and how every family does better with two parents and every family does better when <clears throat> those two parents are joined together to, to raise children. And so, but that was the criteria initially. And so you had this uh, dependency on government and uh, there's even <laughs> reports that Johnson knew this mm. and he basically made the comment uh, he would have African Americans, and that's not the word he used, but for the sake of your program, I'll check <laughs> that. Uh, he said, I'll have African Americans voting Democrat for the next hundred years. 
You believe that was a true quote? That's not conspiratorial. Oh, it, it was a very good source, and and it's it's quoted by two or three different historians that knew that knew Johnson, and one was there when he said it. So, well, let me ask you this because we couldn't get any pastor, pro-choice Christian or Democrat, <laughs> uh, Christian Democrat to come on. So let me just ask you this because this is what I've heard too. Well, pastor, you don't understand. It was under Republicans that they started pushing into drugs to the inner city. It wasn't the welfare that held back the black community. It was all the drugs that pushed in there so that the prison system could start being populated and all of these rich Republicans could start making money. Once again, we're not here to defend everything the Republican Party has done, but is there any truth in that, that Republican politicians pushed in drugs to build up the uh, the prison enterprise? You know, I can't really speak... um definitively about that. Um, at that time, uh, basically much of the information we received, we were receiving from mainstream. It was later that we began to get sources to understand what was actually happening in the African-American community and government. Uh, uh, the Jesse Jackson always working both ends against the mis- middle along with uh, Reverend Smiley. These were leaders in the civil rights movement that were basically giving information uh, to the FBI and the CIA to, to say this, I will say this as far as the, uh, yes, it is true because it became another form of slave labor. And there is no question when I say it's true, there is an incentive for politicians, but unfortunately both sides have been guilty. Now, if you want to talk about the, 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 the rush, the great, uh, surge that happened under, Bill Clinton, and there's and there's no question about that. That's documented that um, the um, the prison um, population increased dramatically from the certain laws uh, that were under his administration. But that was all payoffs, and that was all planned. Uh, it's this country was uh, built on cheap labor, um, and there's always been. A, uh, of the elite, uh, there's always been a, a, a plan to acquire cheap labor, uh, and the prison system unquestionably was providing that. And, and let me just say this, I've worked with uh, prison reform. I was a chaplain in the Newark um, Juvenile Detention Center. Um, but to say this, you know, the same worker in prison that was working for some of the major contractors in this country, um, and the name of the ones that basically produce the, um, that the Army uses to produce its aircrafts, I cannot think of right now, but they unquestionably um, were being used in prison, but when they got out of prison, because they had a record, they could not apply to the same company, aerospace technologies or something, there's many of them, that were basically benefiting from workers in prison, okay? Workers that were in prison, but once they got out of prison, they could not be employed by that particular company. Now in prison, they were working for a $1.50 an hour or something, something very meager, where that same position would have been 20, $25 an hour getting out. So much of the, um, the prison reform that's coming now, and that should be echoed. Uh, everybody talked about prison reform prior to now. It appears that this president 
is going forward with honest prison reform. One of the great disparities where the same amount of time should be given if it's cocaine or if it's crack <laughs> or crystal meth, all these things, they were variances because crack is the inner city uh, drug use, uh, heroin, um, uh, cocaine, sniffing cocaine, they viewed more as a yuppie or a um, middle class, upper middle class drug. And so there was actually, I know here in this state, there was actually different years applied to each drug. And but that was somewhat uh, dealt with with the things that uh, Donald Trump is doing. So I'm excited about that. But as far as the conspiracy of uh, the prisons being used for cheap labor, that's that's not a conspiracy that can be proven. Okay, so for you, you can say I agree with uh, this happening to the, the prison system, but would you say it's a Republican thing? And before you answer, if I could just share this another meme that I came up with there uh, for everybody to see here. You know, I don't have to vote Republican. I can vote independent. I can vote whatever. But to say voting Republican means I vote for something that might have happened in the past or that was unofficiated in their platform, to me, is not the same. And I want to hear Pastor on this. Here's the way I look at it. If I go to the Democratic platform, I can see that they support 885,000 deaths a year for children in the womb. 100,000 plus of those are between 13 to 21 weeks. Those are the pictures. God have mercy. So then I said to, to those who want to, you know, to try to point the finger back at us, Go to the Republican platform, do the same thing, because I voted Republican, and, and then you're talking about Trump here, Pastor. We can hear if you voted you know, for Trump. I said, okay, so if you want to try to hold that against me, let's just go apples to apples. Go back to the platform of the Republicans and see if you can find the same kind of evil that I would be forced to support. So, Pastor, for me, it kind of seems like you're saying both parties share in the blame for prison uh, work. Uh, poor, uh, what is that, cheap labor, both parties would be responsible for not solving the immigration issue. Both parties would be responsible for health care or bad welfare. But it's one party in particular that's promoting an evil called abortion. I mean, how would you say? That's how I'm seeing it. I mean, how do you see well, it? Well, there's no question about it. Well, as I stated, uh, it was blatantly clear under the Clinton administration there was a great surge of arrest and, 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 and people of color in prison. Um, and as the, if you read the book, uh, Another Name for Slavery, uh, she, this is an African-American sister, once again, whose name I can't recall, clearly shows that it was under that administration and clearly shows that it's designed for the sole purpose of cheap labor. Uh, and to be honest with you, and I hear, I'm out here quite a bit, it was, it's very difficult. I've never heard anybody say the Republicans are responsible for that. Anyone who's saying that has not really done their homework at all and has not looked into the prison system. And, and, and needless to say, um, after a certain level, they all are in cahoots together as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but it was, it's, you can never really attribute it to a particular party. Now, when it comes to abortion, that's clearly an adoption of the Democratic Party. Not only the Democratic Party, 
um, which hurts enough because they're still seen as the chief facilitator of civil rights for the African-American community. And that's a sad part. But the fact of the matter is that our agencies that were developed for the furtherance of African-Americans here in this country, such as the NAACP, the Rainbow Coalition, uh, Nat, <coughs> Al Sharpton's group, group uh, National Action Committee, I believe that's the name of it. All of them, all of them are supporting that abortion industry and supporting that platform. That's outrageous. Well, two of them are headed by pastors or reverends, Reverend Jesse Jackson, the Rainbow Coalition, oh, wow. the Action Committee by Al Sharpton. And they're endorsing 1,756 African-Americans being killed each day. They're endorsing an industry that's actually keeping the slave block alive. I mean, it's such an atrocity and such a, 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 a painful time of, of, of American history to watch and know that African-Americans were at one time sold on the slave blocks and were sold basically for the sake of that cheap labor. Well, now just their body parts are being sold uh, disproportionately by the abortion industry. And that has been proven. And I don't know, after a while, you know, when innocent blood is shed, <laughs> after a while, God shows up uh, and asks the question, where is your brother? Uh, I wish I'd have known the time span between he asked Cain that question. It could have been months, years in the Genesis. But we know when innocent blood is shed, God soon shows up and he's, he's, he's going to show up with this country and ask the question. And it's not that he doesn't know what happened. He wants us to give the right response. And I don't know if America is ready to give that right response yet. We need to repent over the over 60 million uh, children, 60 million children overall, disproportionately African-American, well over 20 million. We only make up 12.4% of the population, but yet 35% of the abortions. So um, we're in the position of Cain, this country. We are slayed our brother. And pretty soon God will ask the question. And I believe we have to repent before he asked that question. And it's been going on legally for over 40 some odd years. And so um, it's up for the church to, to, to recognize that. Um, judgment does not begin at the White House. It does not begin at Congress or the Senate. Uh, judgment begins at our house, the House. Mm -hmm. I was just going to ask you, do you believe from Daily Signal that this is a true representation of these precious babies that are being sold for their parts? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know something, the strange thing about it, um, I was totally oblivious to this until I, you know, I read some things Mark Crutcher had put out, but not, um, not really in detail. And um, a young man in my church at the time was doing research on abortion and actually from playing around on the computer came up with a price list. And he was stunned. He, he called me up and, and I really thought he was wrong. I said, well, if they were doing this, it wouldn't be a priceless he could find. <laughs> but I was wrong. 
they are so blatant. They are so blatant in this, and um, and it's it's very 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 sad that this is uh, still body parts or bodies are still being sold for profit. What are they being sold for, and to who? Well, they be you know I don't want some are research, which some people will justify. Some are to make certain cosmetics. Uh, ladies need to look on the back of their uh, cosmetics that they buy and make sure there's not any skilled name. Sometimes they change the name to call it something else that actually is fetal tissue. Um, you are kidding. Hold on. We got to stop here. Jared, you've got to help me find this. What name does this go by as a product and where can we put this up for people to research? Well, I don't know. Uh, I just know what is being made, what they're using the products for. You'd be surprised. You'd be shocked. How did you get that information? Where and the public that? and the public does not know. Well, I was I was reading, uh, as I stated, uh, and also of uh, uh, vaccinations. They they use it for you. You you know it's 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 widespread use. That's why the leading abortion provider, Planned Parenthood, it's responsible for over twenty percent of all abortions in this country is engaged in that business. And if you watched any of the tapes of these, of the sting uh, done by the young man, um, and boy, I can't think of his name either, <laughs> but the young man that did the sting. That was uh, David DeLayden, the Center for Medical Progress. Thank you so much. He, he unquestionably, I mean, they boasted not only of the price they basically were getting initially, but now they were going to quadruple uh, quadruple the profits from the body parts, oh, and it's with such a coldness and a, such a really a a darkness about her. She says, "And the mother will not receive anything." Wow! And I said, "Why did she even have to say that?" <laughs> it's almost like they're boasting of the complete rape and uh, merchandising of this victim. And, and they boast that the mother receives nothing of this. So, and maybe something uh, is to that. Maybe I'm, I'm making more of it than what it actually is. But to even bring up the comment lets me know how dark her soul is. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Pastor. It's such good information having you on, even though it's so shocking and grieving. Uh, we need to be aware of schemes of the enemy that we can combat him. We know we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these powers that put these ideas into people's minds, that flesh and blood act out. So we do need to take this in prayer with the authority of Jesus. I believe it's the church is the answer. But help me understand people's thinking of this, and maybe there is no rationale to it. When I put up this picture that shows this dear man being lynched, and I, as a pastor, am horrified, and I say something like, Whoever did this will go to hell without accepting Jesus and repenting for the sin of murder. You know, I mean, I make that very clear. Mm -hmm. When I talk to people that try to say this was Christianity, I say this was no more Christianity than Mormonism is Christianity. It was a cult. It was a diversion of Christianity. There were true Christians present at this time that were standing against it, etc. Okay, so I am like as clear as clear can be. I, when people point it back to the Bible, I say that is totally different. The Bible's usage of slave, servant, it's more like indentured worker. It's, it's people working with the Israelites. They could not mistreat them because they themselves used to be under the Egyptian rule. That's the comparison. 
In the New Testament, when it says slaves obey the master, it has nothing to do with the South. It even says masters do not even threaten your servants. You couldn't even threaten them because your Lord and their Lord is the same. And then Paul's very clear in Galatians. There's neither slave nor free, male or female. Like I go through that whole thing and I can get the whole church, you know, amen in me. That's amen. We condemn slavery. We condemn the condemn the death of uh, of these innocent people that did not deserve the death of justice. Which I'll even clarify. You know, the death penalty and judgment of God. You know, children dying in Noah's flood. Children dying when Jesus comes back. Children dying in Sodom and Gomorrah is always God's judgment. He redeems the children. I believe they're saved. And then death penalties are for criminals. You know, oh, like we we go there, right? We clarify this. Is murder, slavery, and, and man-stealing, the Bible says, is wrong. And then I go, now here is an African-American child just trying to speak to that same issue to the black church. And I say, now what do we say of the one who wants to murder, to kill, to destroy, to, you know, all the way up until birth, but all throughout the stages of pregnancy? And then they now say, this is a different issue. Brother, is it just as simple as spiritual blindness? Because... I cannot understand for the life of me why black, pink, or purple. You know, I use the example of African-American, but I use this with all people in the argument. Why can they not see the comparison? I, I don't get it. Is it spiritual blindness? Is it just they're being rebellious against God? I, are, are we not explaining it good enough to them? How is it they don't see it? Well, um, I, and I like the way you express that, and then it, it and it because it sounds like it's the only answer, and that it really is unquestionably the only answer that it is. And you tell people that, and they say, "Oh, oh it is. It's it's a it's a spiritual blindfold. It's a spiritual blindness that is upon people. Abortion is America's most egregious sin. Uh, why?" you're empowering evil okay uh the you have the shedding of innocent blood pollutes the land it also empowers evil and if you li listen or talk with anybody who deals into witchcraft and satanism uh the shedding of blood the blood sacrifice or child sacrifice is very much a part of their ritual and it empowers them now i don't understand all that I don't have, I don't understand a 45 either, but if I have to use it, I'm going to use it. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that's just the way it is. And there, this evil, Satan protects this evil more so than any other uh, <clears throat> attribute or, or sin that's in America that is unquestionably uh, devouring America. Same-sex marriage uh of course that is a detriment um and or any of the other commandments that are broken but child sacrifice is 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 his greatest accomplishment here in in this nation and and unfortunately the world and certainly you should be able to see it the link between slavery and abortion civil rights um, and, and, and abortion, there's no question. Uh, there are links there. And, I, and I'd like to say when I draw those links, many people do uh, wake up out of that sleep. Uh, and so there is hope. But any basically unquestionably are determined to be as, um, uh, was it Alistair Crawley's, the, the, the satanic Bible, do as thou wilt. Mm. Um, 
I will do what I want to do. And therefore, you hear the, the chant, don't, <laughs> you can't tell me what to do with my body. Now, of course, with Christians, I tell them, well, the scripture tells me you've been bought with a price and ye are not your own, so it's not your body. But, uh, but to, uh, and also, did he not say the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein? You belong to God. And he was inclusive even of those who did not know him. He said, you still belong to me. So the fact of the matter is this shedding of innocent blood and the humanity of the child, which in order to shed that blood, you have to denounce the humanity or the personhood. Personhood is very, very important. Uh, why could you have slavery prior? Simply because 1857, Dred Scott said, well, they're three-fifths human. So basically, they do not have full rights. And this is exactly what we've done to the child in the womb. We've said the child does not have rights because they are not viable. They're three-fifths or whatever in their thinking. That's not a viable person. It's the same thing. Uh, and, and, as I say this all the time, it's a joke. At 2.30 in the morning, I'm not viable either. Trust me. <laughs> so, But that doesn't mean that you have the right to violate me or to take away the rest of, of my future. So we need to recognize that this atrocity uh, clearly is something that we have violated the Declaration of Independence clearly. And the Constitution says we not only want these rights for ourselves, but for our posterity, our future children. So they've already been um, grandfathered in, so to speak, um, into the Constitution, future children. So we, they, they've already been invested into this particular doctrine. So we are at this present time, um, and you mentioned something earlier. We had this, you know, and I believe we're coming to this because you, the scripture you use opening the program reminded me, I think I was out in San Francisco and uh, the Lord clearly showed me when I got up to talk, uh, the scripture he had given me prior that um, uh, the, the, the graphic visual that you showed, basically anybody who saw that should be able to respond to it. Now, that's the way God feels. How do I know that? Because of this. Um, Matthew 25 lets us to know that when he's making the separation, he doesn't say, did you accept me as your personal savior? Did you go to church? Did you do anything? He says, um, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was in prison, did you come visit me? But the one I want to get to, he said, naked, you clothed me. You just showed a person, you showed them naked, you showed them dismembered, you showed them violated. And the crowd says, when did we see you naked? Anybody who's watching this just saw one of these, he says, in so much as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. So in other words, that child should have been clothed. That child should have been protected and cared for. And guess what? God said, every abortionist, every person, now today, after David DeLion's work and, and, and people like CBR, who I partner with, and we go on campus, campus, we see the least of his naked 
but dismembered. And, and he says, in so much as you've done it unto the least of these other ones, you've done it unto me. Well, we, we, we need repentance. We need a revival. But getting back to how come they can't see it, they willfully are turning a dark eye to this. They willfully are, 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 are looking away for this because that particular parable lets me to know that if you look on a person, it's just like the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, if you look on that person and don't see the injustice in that, then you are blind. And, and you you will you will be uh, apart from God. Wow! Thank you. Okay, so let's even out the scales, Pastor uh, Childress. Let let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt. We have here the deaths of almost a million children a year, many of them African American, and on the other side, uh, a priest is going to get on now this you know Facebook kind of an agenda for the left, and a priest is going to say, well. We've got pro-life issues before birth, and we got pro-life issues after birth, the immigration issue. And you know what? Just as bad as the Democrats are with pro-life before birth, the Republicans are just as bad, you know, pro-life after birth. They don't care about the immigrant. They don't care about the inner city. They don't care about health care. Is that true? Can we weigh out, even though we don't have to be pro-Republican, we can just not be Democrat and vote somebody else, but... Is that a good argument that Republicans are just as bad at being pro-life after birth as Democrats are before birth? Uh, the accusations are getting sadder and sadder and more and more, more ridiculous. I mean, um, first of all, even with the children at the border, uh, they've had access to the uh, to to life. Okay, uh, they have, uh, unfortunately, maybe parents who aren't too wise. They are making conscious decisions. I don't blame the children, but certainly the parents are making, con they're journeying. You have cut off the right of a segment of our society to pursue happiness, to pursue dreams, to pursue the American dream. So um, anyway, uh, no, it's not, it's, it's not even a close comparison because America still is the most benevolent country in the, in the land. America still uh, services more nations, uh, has more missionaries, feeds more poor people, gives more shelter to, to hundreds of thousands of people, far more exceeding any nation. It's not even close, okay? So to say, because we want borders, you know, all those people, I'm sure when they go home, there's a fence around their house. Uh, it's like someone knocking on your door and saying, we have four more people to sit down at the dinner table tonight, and you must come in. I mean, some of these people, Nancy Pelosi, she's from a gated neighborhood. Chuck Schumer, they got a gate around the whole city, let alone their house. This is so sad. I don't even know. I mean, it, it doesn't even make sense. Um, the president has not said he doesn't want them in. He says they have to come in legally. All right. Uh, and so it's amazing to me that how they try to demonize anyone who opposes them and, and, in, and in so doing, continually go down the, uh, the vacuum of, of being totally illogical and irrelevant. Uh, sadly enough, we have to recognize that the immigration issue, it is an issue, but as as one, I think it was Don Bangino of, of, of uh, Fox News. Remember, it's illegal information. These children who are born are not illegal. 
okay? <laughs> they are persons, <laughs> but you condemn them in the womb as being, uh, <clears throat> as, as be, and sentence them to die and that they don't have the right to life. But yet you stand and defend persons breaking the laws, the sovereign laws of this land and attempting to intrude and invade and saying this is something we should do. It's crazy. This is absolutely crazy. And many of those people, some of those people, no question, mean America harm. Yeah, and that's the thing, Pastor. And this is where you can help me even play the devil's advocate. I honestly, just to be honest with you, I don't even get what they're talking about. And I've been around the, the white community almost my whole life, even though I pastored predominantly African-American for many years in New Orleans and work with the majority Latino congregation and mixed church now. I still, I'm still a gringo. I'm still a white guy. So I'm always around that kind of environment, either with my family on functions or a neighborhood or uh, just I'm used to being white is what I'm trying to say. I don't intentionally look for whiteness or white people or whatever, but I, being around white Christians, I have never seen anyone neglect willfully the poor to, to, pr to promote their political agenda. So just, just give me an example. If I could just give a few. When I went and worked with a, a white church in, um, I believe, Montgomery, Alabama, or one of those southern states, I mean, they ran a food bank. Uh, they had a gospel truck that went into the African-American neighborhood. The reason why they brought me there is I was a home missionary because I was working in African-American community. Uh, another almost all-white church in Minneapolis uh, had brought me in to work with the inner city churches there. They themselves were taking in the immigrants of their community, mostly Latinos. They actually brought in a Latino pastor, a missionary, to become a pastor. Like, I have never seen this. Is this just made up out of thin air? Or honestly, as a black man, you know, Christian, obviously, have you experienced white Christian neglect of the, the bad neighborhoods and stuff? I know they're probably out there, and I know they probably exist. And please be honest, but, I mean, I just personally haven't seen it. All the racism that I saw was from non-Christians, and then the times that I heard about it was predominantly from the black pastors and the black people I was, I was knowing in the early, I mean, late 90s, early 2000s. And they were telling me of their experience with those kinds of pastors and they were being, you know, mistreated. But it wasn't like um, it wasn't like there was this thing that was continuing on. It was something that was always being addressed. And that didn't stop them being conservatives or being in the assemblies of God. They talked about their, their hard times in it or in the military, one brother was sharing, you know, but it wasn't like this conspiracy was to continue on. Like there's just this great white uh, privilege <laughs> conspiracy it's, and it's hiding in the church. Help me understand. Yeah. You, <laughs> you got excused by laughter because being an elderly black guy, I, I, I've never lived in this country where white guys were catching so much hell. <laughs> Come on, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but it is, you know, it is, it is really, it, I marvel at it. Someone, it is, the reason why I know it's evil, here's why I know it's evil. These, unquestionably, the, the mindset, so this spirit has the ability to form what is politically correct or, or incorrect. It is the spirit of the Antichrist. And right now, and, I, and I'm going to say this, and because you're right in the vein of where this is all going, um, race, because of the great offense, it now continues to be America's most difficult problem to navigate through. 
But there are those who unquestionably profit from this that are uh, that devote their lives to keep the um, the division and the strife between the races because they're going to profit from the problems that result of it. Now, look at this situation with the young kids of Covington High School or Covington that were wearing the mega hats, Make America Great hats. Okay, all right. They filmed that, they looked at it. Anyone who looks at the film has to say to themselves, that young man handled himself very well. And I know some kids right now in my church, <laughs> basically, yeah, they didn't care who it was. If anybody would have came at them that way, there would have been a major problem that day, all right? There would have been the police bum rushing the place because there, there would have been fights. There, there would have been a fight, there would have been a brawl. I was very impressed with the young man that he, he smiled, he, he didn't, he held his ground and he took those insults that were being hurled at them. They were not even hurling insults, but the way the media projected it, do you have this new thing now set up? It happened in your city where the, uh, the homosexual actor was attacked supposedly by white men wearing uh, make America great hats just recently. And I told my wife, I told me, I said, let me tell you something. They are so desperate to stop Donald Trump. They are so determined. You're going to have acts like this basically perpetrated against individuals. And somehow the MO is going to unquestionably make people think that it's done by um by people who support Donald Trump. And I would go on record. I guarantee you those people weren't from Donald Trump. Those people were a part of those, and this goes all the way back to slavery, by the way, those people who will profit from the demonization of Donald Trump. They'll profit from it politically. They've been assigned to remove this man from his presidency because he's a person who has been in <clears throat> injected into the power seat that neither side planned for and that the globalists did not plan for. And how do you bring America down? You continually you know, bring up the race, racial discrimination, the political correctness of uh, how we're to respond racially, how they have now demonized uh, anyone who does not go alongside with their particular perspective on race. So, okay. Think about it. Do you think I'm going to go beat up somebody with uh, Make America Great hats on and pick out a, a movie star whom they knew who he was? They, he says, this is all going to continue to happen. I'm going on record now. You're going to see these things happen. And it's totally designed to cause racial problems, uh, uh, <clears throat> racial unrest, amongst African-Americans and minorities against the, uh, the Trump uh, administration or in, in, in these particular cities. And what you described right now, I, I just, I get, and I hope I answered it. I don't know if it will ever end politically, and it's a God interjection. God has to really intervene totally on this. There's, there's no, the Republican Party can't caucus together and the Democrat Party cannot caucus together, come up with some type of guidelines 
this is a God thing to root out this particular device of evil. When I pray for Donald Trump, I always say they imagine a wicked device against him there or intend wicked devices against them they are unable to perform. This is one of them. And 2020 is coming up. I hate to say this, you're gonna see things of that sort to basically cast aspersions on uh, the Trump presidency. And it's gonna be, be all wrapped around race. How do you explain unemployment for African-Americans at a record low? How do you explain black entrepreneurship on, on, on all-time new levels, okay? How do you explain a double tax credit for single mothers, which is the greatest uh, demographic of the African-American community? Uh, the, the list is endless. You cannot mock those statistics. This is not what he said he was going to do. This is what he is doing. The veterans, the total upheaval and turnaround amongst how we minister to our veterans uh, the VA hospitals, the, the, the benefits that uh, now veterans can, from what I understand, is they can go to, uh, he's making so they can go to other hospitals and do other things. His record speaks for itself. Do you notice there's no demonization of his record? It's always of the assumption of him saying, oh, he's racist, oh, he's racist. If this is racism, give me David Duke, okay? Because the things that have happened in the African-American community since this man, his last two years, was greater than the eight years under Barack Obama and the Bush administration. These changes he is making are revolutionary, and he needs to uh, unquestionably be recognized for that. Thank you. Yeah, it does answer the questions because... It is a spiritual issue, and it seems like people are, are ignoring the facts that don't go into what, you know, they're they're making as a narrative. And just to hit on it one more time personally, because I really believe you're speaking to a lot of people, and, and I feel like there's a lot of just people trying to get over uh, the political divide and unite around Christ and, and fight for the issues that Christians should be fighting for. So I want to fight for pro-life before birth and after birth. I want immigration reform. I want something that health care, affordable health care. I want, uh, you know, diversity. I want all of those things. But how the left and the Democratic Party has made us look like we don't want those things, that's what's aggravating. Because I, I like say somebody's like me, they don't study a lot of the politics and they're just looking at the Republican platform. That's what I was saying to one of these white liberals that's a pastor that voted Democrat and it didn't bother him that Hillary was pro-choice and all that. I tried to get him on, he was busy. But I was saying, everything you're bringing to me is a Russian scandal or this thing going over here. I said, just show me something that was actually said and done that's proven, or let's just go apples to apples, platform to platform. But he doesn't want to do that. And that, for me, makes it so frustrating because I don't think that's the Christian thing to do. I think the Christian thing to do is actually look at, like what you're saying, the actual facts of the matter. Because in all honesty, sir, I didn't do that to President Obama. I, you know, there are some people who did, like Hannity, and every day it was another thing Obama was doing wrong. But for me, I'm just, you know, this is just me. I, I just said, politics is politics. I'll get involved where it affects me. And that sometimes I know can be dangerous because it, it can get out of hand. But I just feel like it's never good enough for them. And they can't see the, the foot on the shoe on the other foot. Like I, I'll like, for example, I could go right back at him and go, you know, Hillary did this in Benghazi, and Obama allowed this to happen with the, the terrorists in Syria by pulling out these, you know, 
But well, let's just say we gave everybody the benefit of the doubt. Let, let's just say what hasn't been proven definitively, we made a wash. I don't preferably want to do that. I wish we could find the truth and everything. But let's go <laughs> to what we know is true. Are there any Republicans saying we want people to die in hospitals? Is there any Republicans saying we don't want immigration? You know, could you speak to it maybe one more time, a broad sense or a narrow sense, wherever your heart leads? Because I just can't get over it. It's almost like if we don't if we don't succumb to the evil, and I don't know what else to call it. That's what it is. It's no doubt. And the only word you were missing is what you had started off with the beginning. And let's say I'm not Christian. There's this thing that God has given everyone logic. They become illogical, you know, and therefore we can't even debate now. Uh, once again, that's the other element. Why does not Nancy really want a, st a state of the union? She doesn't want to hear the accomplishments because now she cannot demonize and and uh, basically give false accusations when this man, and, and if he did not tweet, he'd be finished. I don't appreciate all of them. I don't think anyone does. But if he did not tweet and say what was on his mind and what he is talking about, we'd be totally in the dark because of the media's uh, willingness to push an ideology, not facts, to be uh, extremely biased and not objective. And so no doubt, as you mentioned, uh, and I want to say this and I'm going to get right to that, but here's the great thing about what has happened is exposing to African-Americans especially that Donald Trump is not the man. What do you mean? Oh, the man will get you, man. You better be the man. No, 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 no. This is really wonderful. And when it, God chooses to stop it, I, it's okay with me. But it's given me so much fodder to tell people, oh, so Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, General Flynn, who was the man? That wasn't Trump. Trump didn't kick down someone's office and raid a lawyer. How do you raid a lawyer's office? I mean, these folks are out of control. Most of your listeners don't even understand right now this nation is in the battle for its own existence. They don't understand it. They don't understand that the church better be the church now, more so now than it ever, ever has. It was, we will not recognize America. Hey, folks, listen. Hillary was supposed to win, okay? All right, end of story. <laughs> they weren't planning. Both sides weren't planning on Donald Trump. That's why he catches it from both sides, all right? Uh, so you have to understand, this was God's interjection, giving us a space to be who we're supposed to be as a nation. Hillary Clinton said without any reservation, without really rechecking herself or saying, well, maybe I shouldn't have said it that way. She said, the church has to change. You know what she was talking about? Abortion and same-sex marriage. The church has to change. Oh, so now the political agenda trumps, no, no pun intended, the kingdom agenda. So now you're invading the church. You gotta hear what she was saying. And they plant, this was, Totally, totally a surprise to them when on that morning, they go that evening, so much so she couldn't even come out and address the crowd. This is a seasoned woman. 
This is a woman that was living in the White House two turns with Bill Clinton. She was a senator. She was a, a secretary of state. You can't come out and say, I lost. Why? There was so much at stake. Jay could not believe it. And so no doubt, I think for once, the first time in the African-American, uh, and this is the same thing with JFK, by the way, because the same people that harassed JFK, that uh, killed John F. Kennedy, are the same people that are after Donald Trump, okay? And let's, let's, let's just face it, that's just the way it is. You now know you had a corrupt FBI. <laughs> you now know you had a corrupt CIA. Where do you find Brennan from? Where do you get these people? I mean, this is a man who voted for a socialist agenda. Hello. This is how sure themselves they were. America was about to become something else. And if you can't see, if it wasn't for Donald Trump, all, th all this would not be seen. It was going to be a smooth transition into socialism, into control of government, larger government, and the America of, 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 the, free, of, of the free marketplace of ideas, censorship. Look at Berkeley. Berkeley back in my day was the epitome of free speech. Now it's the bastion of censorship. <laughs> what is going on? This is a part of their move. So what is going on right now? Trump has set it up. As he said, if you're 501c3, don't worry about that political thing. Don't worry about it. He's going to do away with that eventually. But he said it will not be. Uh, in other words, you have the right to talk about politics wherever. We're so still traumatized, we won't do it. <laughs> but but, uh, but because of the government thing, but we've been given a space by God with this man, with Donald Trump, to be the church. Come on. To take our rightful place as the leaders of the country. Not Washington, D.C. Leadership really should be there, but it should be the church that should set the political correctness and the agenda. We've been allowing politics to create the narratives that we were supposed to adhere to. That has never been. That's where it shifted. The church used to set those tones, okay? And we have to recognize Hollywood for what it is. We have to recognize the film industry and the music industry. We were silent for so long. They become so entrenched in our children and our day-to-day uh, -day in our, in our <clears throat> social interacting with one another. There has to be a revival, has to be a change. The elements are there. We could do this, but uh, to say uh, that uh, Donald Trump is, is, the, is, the, is the person who will be out to get you, well, who's trying to get him? <laughs> okay, who is, who, is, who is harassing him and harassing those people around him? Folks, wake up. There's another force that we never recognized. There, there is, if you want to call it Illuminati, Bilderberg Group, whatever. They, if I ever doubted it, I'm seeing it right now. Who's pulling these, who's calling these shots? Who is opposing him this way? And, and so vehemently, uh, the NSA, the FBI, the CIA, this is bizarre. And now you got to try and clean this up. Yeah. It's like a miracle. It's yeah, well, a miracle. 
Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's going to take a miracle. You know, just to interject with that, I never really saw any of these kind of conspiracies in politics. I just was saying, you know, politics is always politics. Mm-hmm. Until this, this last midterm, it really opened my eyes. And I think, especially for a lot of my Latino audience, should think about this. How in the world could you orchestrate such a mass migration and do it right before midterms. I mean, just be honest with yourself. If you if you are like me and you are very uh, sensitive to immigration issues, maybe you have loved ones that are dealing with it. I mean, I'm with you there. But just ask yourself that question. Who rounds them up at that time in that way? I mean, and then even Mexico is saying, you can stay here, you can stay here. And they still didn't want to stay and kept going. And that's when I began to realize, like you're saying, there are forces that work here that we need to wake up to. And um, I want to say a quote and show a picture, Pastor, maybe get you preaching again here. I feel like we're doing volleyball bump set and you're doing the spike. I shared this with my Facebook page and I said, Christian, let's just think about it like this. If the people here are championing the things you're championing right now and you call yourself a Christian, you're not doing what Jesus said. Because none of these people here are championing the gospel and the kingdom. They're not. By definition, they're not. And the strange bedfellows of Islam with the left is a whole other discussion. Maybe we'll have you on for that. But if you look at this picture, they all have an agenda. And, And this is what social media did in the negative, brothers and sisters, is it gave them a voice louder than the church And it made you think this was part of being a Christian. You know, you would see this article come up about the immigration or this Oprah thing about this, you know, this thing going on over here. And you didn't realize that behind all of that was the enemy to get you to change your worldview. And here you're having Pastor Childress, Childress share that with you. It's not a white thing. It's not a black thing. It's not even necessarily a Republican thing. You know, it is a truth kingdom thing. And if you care about this country, I know I'm preaching now, you've got to care about these issues. Here's what William Booth said, the founder of Salvation Army, about 100 years ago. He said, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. That's the kind of Christians that these people are. They have religion, but they don't have the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ. They don't want Christ. They just want to say they're Christians, right? forgiveness without repentance. They, they're saying that they really you know, want to be Christians, but what are they repenting of? They're not repenting of the sins of the Bible, same-sex marriage, not repenting of sex before marriage. They're not repenting of drug addiction. What are they really repenting of? Salvation without regeneration. People are saying they're saved even in good churches now, or used to be good churches, without regeneration. And then look at this, politics without God, heaven without hell. And that was one of the biggest lies. Pastor, maybe you could share on this. I know we're coming up on our hour. Uh, But that lie that came into the church where we weren't supposed to talk about politics, boy, didn't the devil love that because he took so much advantage of it. And this is something I say with all sincerity. I used to look up to the black church as a a young white person growing up in uh, the suburbs of Fort Wayne, Indiana. When I would go and visit the black church, it was so much more exciting than mine. Uh, I would see them doing things in the community. And, you know, when I started doing ministry in the inner city, there was like a foundation to build upon. But it didn't take long until the pastors were becoming corrupt 
And then the churches, you know, of course, all churches did that. But as I was in the inner city, and then the people became distasteful towards the church. You know, the pastors got the girlfriends. And I saw this demise happen, you know. All the pastor just wants my money. And then it's almost like instead of the black church regaining its soul, what it once had, it almost like substituted for a carnal influence, you know, like we don't have it now in the power of the Holy Spirit and our love for community and, and, and doing things like that. So now we're going to try to get it through the handout and mm -hmm. uh, becoming, you know, one with our aldermen instead of one with God. What happened to the black church? Because honestly, I still feel they're supposed to lead in America in so many different ways. Uh, I say it often. At one time, the black church was the conscience of the country. Oh, come on. One of, the, one of the problems unquestionably were, is, as you said, uh, the apple or the carrot in this case was dangled and there was a cost. It was a price to pay and they were willing to pay that price. And that meant your value system as well as your methodology will now be affected by this. As you stated, Salvation Army. Salvation Army, Goodwill, these people are down with the people, understand the people, and can see trends. If you ever want to know what's going on in the mindset of people, talk to people who work full-time in, in the inner city at Goodwill Salvation Army. So William Booth's assessment certainly should be taken uh, very seriously. And they were to partner with, they were partnering with the church. Now they're becoming, now today they become entities because the church has disconnected from its mission, okay? And that is to <clears throat> feed the poor, to administer to them who have less. Matthew 25, those very same things. We don't do enough of Matthew 25. We don't go to the prison enough. We don't, fit. now there are churches that do, don't get me wrong. I'm just talking about the church, total, the totality of the church. We depend on who? Government to do that. Then we depended on them, the greatest, problem with education of our children. Um, this is where the Catholics unquestionably paved the way. We should have followed after them. Next to the church is a school. <laughs> there, there's, there's undoubtedly, we've allowed the public, and they recognize that power. That's why they don't want school choice. They don't want the money to follow the child, because what? You're going to take your child out of that public school, and hopefully, if you're anything like me, you know that the faith element has to be a part of the education because all knowledge comes from God. And so therefore, if I'm going to learn math, geometry, English composition, how to write all these things, I have to include God in that equation or else I will not reach my potential. And so the church really has to repent of not doing what those first, what he says, Ephesians, you love your first love. We have to do the first works over again and, and really, we have too many ungodly ties. The 501C came about in the 1950s. It was Johnson who created it because there, he, there was a, a candidate that was using the churches against him. <laughs> so he, he said, I'll fix you. <laughs> okay. And he really had this legislation where they couldn't certain, say certain things in the pulpit, that there was going to be restrictions. They couldn't be engaged politically. So we can thank... Um, that last phase, I believe it was Lyndon Baines Johnson that put it into action. And all of a sudden now, we're disengaged. Well, uh, Tudor 
Bismarck said something one day when I was really getting involved in politics and people were throwing that at me. And he says, whoever writes the laws controls the traffic. And I first said to myself, oh, that's true. That's true. He, he gave the sermon. Uh, he gave it in the light of the red light, the green light, there, uh, no turn on red or something like this. Someone's controlling by laws how people move. But 1973, five men got a law passed that trafficked it hundreds of thousands of babies to their death because we disengaged from the law. We didn't try to influence the law. We felt that was in our domain and we left it to people who don't have our value system, who don't know our God. How crazy does that sound when this country was founded by preachers and founded by men who recognize God the reason why they came here was so they could have freedom to worship. How all of a sudden do you now take that out of the scenario when it comes to how to live, how America should be and, and, and what type of life? That's one thing I believe this president also is trying to, he can do but so much to re-engage the church, to let the church know that it is its value system, the Judeo-Christian ethic we're founded upon. And if you listen to any of Dr. Martin Luther King's sermons, he said that repeatedly. We are founded on the Judeo-Christian ethic. We are Christians. Now, none of the Black leadership that's, that's portrayed as the leaders um, state that or make that claim. And because we somewhat have lost, we have lost our way. I pray that God raises up new leadership and that we, once again, there's, there's no substitute. We started with God. We started with the church. We started with the gospels. We invited people in, not to create their own country, but to assimilate and to be a part of. If you choose, we would not judge you. They were so sure that they could win people. They say, we'll invite everybody in because we know our gospel you know, Congress was paying for Bibles to be uh, distributed into um, to the Indian countries and all that. That you know, I know there were some atrocities there, but that was government, not so much the people. But the fact of the matter is, it was the gospel that was the foundation. What was the first textbook in our schools? The Bible. Okay. What did uh, Congress, uh, the Supreme Court, mandate in 1996? The Supreme Court said, we are a Christian nation. What did they mandate? Uh, 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 they said all public schools must, and, and people don't even know this, but all public schools was mandated to teach the Bible. And the private school was the only school that had the option to teach or not to teach the Bible. Well, that's totally reversed. Now most private schools are teaching the Bible and the public schools throwing it out. So we can that ever turn around again? I think there's no doubt. Uh, 1962, I believe it was the prayer out or word out and then 63 prayer out. You look at the scales after that, what happened to the public school system. Um, a drastic change began to happen when you took the faith component out of our public schools. And, um, you know, we don't hold this truth to be self-evident. 
and we have to recognize that God gives us these rights, and we, and this nation was founded upon those principles. So if I take in, if I come to live here, I must respect that because I came to live here, not to create my own world or my own ethics. I came here to America to respect that. That's immigration. Now, I know the African Americans had a totally different experience and and much of all of the abolitionists were preachers, all of the um, um, facilitators of justice for, for us, the lawyers and all those individuals were deeply Christian. Uh, Booker T. Washington is one of my favorites. Frederick Douglass, one of my favorites. Very devout Christian people, okay? And they felt comfortable, not with America, they felt comfortable with the gospel that they were, they were carrying and was determined to change American fight for the rights of African Americans. So the key thing was this, that ethic, in other words, they didn't use Islam to try to change America. <laughs> they did not use Buddha or, 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 or Hindu, or they did, the, the, the gospel that America was claiming, African Americans embraced and brought about change, okay? And, and, and found it to be the God that they were searching for and the God that they could embrace. And, but yet they saw the, the, the disparity and they saw the injustice. They didn't get another religion. They made America live up to the promises that were in the word and in the Declaration of Independence and Constitution. And so that's the way immigration should work. And if we don't like those values and we don't like the Judeo-Christian ethic, you shouldn't come here. Because, you know, if, especially if you weren't born here, you shouldn't come here. People, and that's not being racist, that's just trying to be able to manage where we can have a harmony. I, I'm not coming to, uh, to, to cause a revolt. I'm coming to, for a better life. Amen. Yeah, when you just uh, look at the church in America, and all the great things God did here. And when it was at its strongest, I believe in the 1900s with the Azusa Street Revival, where both of us find a lot in common there with our church's beliefs, you see them carrying the gospel and it impacts the civil rights movement and all those things. And it looked like uh, the white church sold out for popularity, wanted uh, money, kind of this real easy believism. And then the black church kind of sold out for a handout instead of a hand up. And the devil just came in in the 60s and 70s, we lost. And then uh, and then you plant those seeds, and then here you go. Here we are. We're reaping all that was sown when the church was sleeping. And isn't that exactly what the parable says? Jesus sows the good seed. Then and what the happens? Right. The wicked one comes while they're sleeping and sows the bad seed. And now we got to wait for God's judgment to sort it, but we're praying for revival. Amen. We're praying that God will save some more. Amen. The cares and troubles of this life, and the, and the so were. Yep. It choked. That's what happened. Yeah. Began to be so caught up in what we felt would be something better, politics and government. Yeah. And as you said, a handout. Um, we we were choked. And God's plan gets God's supply. If yeah. we stayed with His plan, we would have had the supply. And yeah. the person. And I can speak to the white church. And if you look at a lot of my guys right now, what are they doing? committing suicide. Another mega pastor, a 6,000 member committed suicide uh, a while back. Another one, 
Bill Hybels out here kissing women's navels and all this. It just doesn't work. The, the, the white church, if we're just going to use these terms for right now, the white church thought we're going to get our influence by making friends and you know winning friends and influencing people. We're going to do this the worldly method. And the devil said, that's all I need you to do. Just set down your shield, put down your sword. I'll give you a few thousand people. And then what does he do? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And before you know it, my book, as I'm getting my doctorate right now, my bookshelf is filled of fallen pastors and their stories and all, you know, all they're doing now, pastor, my doctorate right now is helping us not to kill ourselves, to read our Bibles and love our wives. I'm telling you, it is a code red in our seminaries. Right now, I am paying almost $3,000 to take a doctorate class. And you know what I'm required to do in this class? Pray, keep a journal, meet with an accountability partner, read some books on spiritual health and talk about it. That's how bad it's gotten in our seminaries because it's an epidemic. They're, they're like 80% depressed. Uh, the churches are closing. The pastors are leaving the ministry. Right now, uh, Tom Rayner in charge of the Baptist uh, church, church growth movement, he's saying that there's an epidemic now in the church, mega churches. They can't find replacement pastors. They don't have enough. The ones they keep putting in there keep falling. And we need to go back. And just like you were talking about the black church, so I'm not going to let the, the black church take it all today. We're going to make sure they all take it. And where are my Latino churches at? We're going to give it through you in Jesus' name. <laughs> well, I know, with the, I know with the black church, they feel basically, and this is like being a sociologist, so to speak, this, they feel clearly that unless they're affirmed by government officials, that they are not relevant. We were supposed to affirm them. They weren't supposed to. Come on. I mean, what has happened? I mean, and and I walked, when I first came to the church, I saw some pastors that walked that way, that those government officials went out their way to make sure that they knew them. And that that is that is very much long gone. We're looking for their affirmation. We're looking for their, and that's simply because um, how can you? Uh, you have to sell your soul to get that affirmation. I. How is uh, how was Barack Obama going to affirm me? And I am staunchly pro-life, and he is doing fundraisers for Planned Parenthood. Okay, and it's not I. I you need me more than I need you, Barack. You need to hear a word, and uh, that that's the problem today. Because as they take on, especially in the black community, because of the uh, the, the current uh, allegiance to the Democratic Party. With that platform, you now must bow to Baal. And God is not going to honor that. I don't even understand how they ever think they could. And it gets down to the point of the blindness. And, 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 and now, what do you do when you open your Bible and, and you read Jeremiah before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And you're going to endorse a candidate that's, that just in New York saying, I want to make sure you can kill your baby all throughout all nine months. Are you serious? Are you serious? And we have a couple of mega church. I'm not going to mention the names because I'm going to see where they're at on this. But uh, they've been very staunchly democratic. But sometimes somebody can do something and say, you know something, enough's enough. I need to break away from this. And uh, certainly what uh, Governor Cuomo has did during the week of uh, Roe versus Wade should allow others to see 
this unquestionably is, if I've been endorsing this, I'm a part of the problem, I now denounce it. They need to denounce the party, denounce the person that's endorsing such heinous, cruel, and, and, and diabolical legislation. And I'm hopefully I can yell enough and shout enough and things enough to bring attention. And, you know, Martin Luther used to run up to the church and put a, a note of ink about or something on the door. I think I'm almost there, bro. Come <laughs> on, we'll be there with you. I mean, I mean, someone has to say, you can't do this. You And it's just as you stated before, the budgets become the God. They got to make sure. So therefore, they cannot have any rough places. They cannot say anything too controversial. They can't engage in anything that's going to uh, make people feel uncomfortable. Uh, that's that's where it is. This is what people tell me. I certainly don't have a mega church. I, you know, we have a small church. Um, sometimes I complain about that, but then I hear some of the stories. I said, maybe this has been a good thing, <laughs> but we're going to keep reaching out. You know, uh, God is going, you know, sometimes it just happens in a very quick season. God just, you know, blows on it and your work increases, but we've remained faithful. I'm, I'm not complaining about that, but, uh, we've lost a lot of, a lot of friendships and a lot of, we make people feel very uncomfortable and, and the emphasis is love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm saying to myself, my gosh, I mean, where is the offense of yeah. men? We, we stand for the sanctity of marriage. We stand yeah. for the sanctity of life. Where have I disrespected you, called you names, or uh, undermined your work, or did anything other than say the truth? And so it's getting more and more clear of this sheep-goat mentality this this darkness that is blinding people to the obvious truth and that uh, government, political correctness, this homogenized worldview of, of, of uh, and, and, and which basically stands against the Judeo-Christian ethic, it's, it's separating more and more. I mean, um, I never thought I would, you know, what it meant. Uh, I used to say as a young man, how could we, um, be in a state of apostasy with all these signs happening. Well, all these signs are happening, and look at the church. We had, you know, I say this all the time. I said back in the '80s, there were nothing but Jesus stickers all around. In case of the rapture, I'm going. Everybody had a different rapture sticker. Something about Jesus. How many cars do you see with something reflecting Jesus Christ on it today? I'm telling you. I mean, it's like. No, I don't want to go there. I'm still trying to engage myself without him in the world. The world has an allure to it. And the world, listen, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You're not going to have the abundant life without him or else he wouldn't have came, all right? He's here so I can have the life. I can't ostracize or push him away and expect the life, but that's what they believe. That's what many people believe. They believe in the, the silence of the church, the lack of camaraderie amongst the church, the competitive, competitiveness uh, amongst the churches, we got to come together. It's probably going to take a natural disaster of some sort. I hope not. But something has to happen where we recognize what you bring to the table, I need. What I'm doing, you need. What our sister down the street, church doesn't need. Our brother down here. 
you know, listen, I don't have a big thing about women pastors and whatnot, but they they, they feel I do. I do not. <laughs> I say I, I'm under uh, I, I'm under a bishop, this, that, and the other, or you're not under a bishop. But at, listen, um, we have a job to do right now, and we're supposed to be the body of Christ, but we can't be the body of Christ denouncing his own words and 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 the words that he said on the <clears throat> I'm I'm going to build on the confession of Christ and I'm and not one jot not one tittle of my words will pass away. So these are exciting times and uh, I I pray that it opens up. The good news is and I and I should state this and maybe I did I don't know if I did in the last program. DeSantis in in Florida won because 18% more of African-American women voted for him because of the school choice. Come on. That's how he won. Um, in um, Georgia, uh, Kemp beat Abrams after Barack Obama and Oprah came in. They said, well, what demographic change that he was able to win? More black men voted for Kemp. See, these things, they squashed this information. Nobody knows. So all you foot soldiers out there, <laughs> all you grass, keep going. You may not find out, but you're getting through because that's those were two key races. They said, what changed? What changed is black women in Florida, uh, in the government, I think he was governing, in the, Florida voted for DeSantis because of his strong school choice commitment. And here in Georgia, well, not here in Georgia, but there in Georgia, of uh, the black black men's percentages raised up extraordinarily, even after Obama's visit, even after Oprah's visit, and voted for Kemp. So this is a great sign. I hope we build on it. And I and guess who does monitor it very well? The progressive left. That that is shocking news to them. Shocking. It means that all their imagery, all their Hollywood and all of their mainstream media is not working. And it's programs like this that take to the web and that are, are growing in, in, in number across the country where people are tired of the, let's face it, it may be the biggest blessing to us, fake news. <laughs> and they are getting true reporting, arms reporting uh, with, with the flavor of God. I mean, so, um, I'm I I'm I'm shocked at some of the things I see now in this life, but I'm also encouraged by those events that uh, that have happened. Amen, amen. I know you're so busy, sir. Can I ask if the co-host got a question for you before you go? Go right ahead. You're All on. right, Pastor Lauren, get a woman's perspective here. Any questions or comments you want to make after hearing from Pastor? That is so powerful. I love hearing everything that you're you're speaking about. Um, and I think the only thing that comes to my heart, really, after hearing you, seeing the different arguments that come for, from women, um, I guess I would just share what's on my heart and then I can get your perspective on it. Sure. But I, a lot of the arguments that I hear from the liberal women when men are standing up against abortion is you have no right to say anything because you're a man. Mm -hmm. And I find it to be... Uh, a lot of hypocrisy because if you were a man that was standing by my side <laughs> saying go ahead and do it they're all for that 
But when right. you're a man that comes and says something um, against against abortion, somehow now you have no voice, and I need to talk about you you having a different you know genitalia than I, or don't have reproductive mm-hmm. organs, so you have no right to speak on behalf of me. So I would love to hear your input on that. Uh, absolutely, and sometimes I always like to say, first of all, that. Uh, we are not anti-women, we are pro-women, very much so. And we wanna say that a lot of times it's because of the estrangement of men that, that uh, women choose to make uh, such a choice. But uh, I wanna say that one, just as you want your own independence and your own desire to make your own decision, so does the child that's in you. It may very well may be you're a woman, but that may be you may be carrying a, a young man, or you may be, be carrying a young lady. Why deny her that opportunity? The species is designed that you would incubate that child for nine months and carry it to full term to birth. That's that's the plan of uh, of creation, and to circumvent that is unnatural. It's amazing to me, the two things threatening society the most and the, um, or directly uh, causing children to live, uh, in some cases, murder or very um, confused lives, same-sex marriage and abortion, both are unnatural. A woman does not, body does not recognize an abortion until months later. And that causes a lot of phys- physiological problems and changes. And um, maybe you should have a doctor to come on and explain it. I don't want to start and mess it up, but, <laughs> but I know enough of it. And so we're just asking you to afford the same right to the child. Um, I say pro-choice. That's a lie. The child did not choose to die. So it's not pro-choice. It's your choice. Okay. Where is the child's choice? And if you can prove to me or anyone that that's not a person and that's not a human being, this is our argument. Uh, oftentimes on college campuses and where I said, you, I said, you're coming at me, you're yelling at me, and I understand that, but I understand I believe that's a person. And every biology book on this campus says that that's a person, <laughs> says that life begins at conception. And we want that child to be given access to the American dream, just as you were given, just as your mother was given, your grandmother was given, and on and on. And we understand the pressures, and uh, but we can't allow uh, uh, one uh, misjudgment to lead to a, a, a greater crime, and that is of, of uh, terminating the child. And, and I often say my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. And most women do not know the information. They do not know uh, all the circumstances involved. And I don't blame, I say this, people say, oh, you're just saying that, but no, I, I don't blame women. I blame uh, government. I blame the laws that were passed because uh, Martin Luther King had a great statement. He used to say, where there is darkness, the people will sin. So therefore, it's not so much the people who sin, 
is those that create the darkness. Well, in 1973, Roe versus Wade, a, a darkness was created. And people are gonna fall in the darkness. They're gonna fall because you said something that should be not even conscionable, you have now said is legal. And, and, and you're marketing this as a means of, to, uh, to remedy an untimely pregnancy. And so women are being victimized and preyed upon. So, and that's just solely the way I see it. Amen. Well, we'll get Jared here for our last one. Jared, I volunteer him, Pastor. If you need a contributor, if you ever end up going in the way of uh, some of these other websites and you start putting out information continually or, or blogs, this brother has a great writing gift. Maybe he can send you some of the things he's already written and Wonderful. anything else to help out with. And by the way, everybody, uh, make sure you check out uh, the website here, blackgenocide.org, and sow a seed into his ministry so they can keep doing this. They do go to the NAACP rallies and preach pro-life, which I love with these humongous signs. And who knows, the next time you see Pastor Childress, it may be in Chicago at our church or on the streets with us in the gospel truck doing the work of the Lord. So pray that that can happen. Jared, what you got for the pastor, sir? Well, Pastor, I just want to say what an honor it is to uh, be in this discussion with you. Um, you're, you are one of my heroes. Oh, and uh, I guess I have a quick comment and then a question. So, so my comment is just a confirmation of what you were saying at the very beginning, how those who support abortion, especially as Christians, are being illogical. And um, Pastor and I were talking about this before we went live about uh, Proverbs 18, verse 17. The first person to present their case seems right till another person comes along and challenges them. <laughs> and so the only place that a, an abortion argument that makes sense is in a vacuum where you don't have anyone to challenge the ridiculous um, uh, foundations of their worldview. Um, Romans 1.20 uh, says that those who deny the existence of God, his eternal power and divine nature, are without excuse. And in the Greek, that's unapologetus. They are without an apologetic. They are without a reasoned defense for the things they believe. And uh, yeah, it's just scientifically, morally, philosophically, biblically, there's there's no defense for it. I, I, would, I would venture to say that if you want to support abortion, stop, stop saying you're a Christian. Stop saying you believe the Bible because abortion is only right. And it only makes sense in a world where there's no God and we're not creatures made in his image. Mm. And, and, and the world is not the way God made it. Um, Cause when you start arguing for abortion, you have to abandon the Bible and go to some other foundation. And if you abandon the Bible, not only could is abortion fair game, slavery, Holocaust, anything else is, is all fair game. Right? Yeah. Because human beings lack value. You said it very well that it was the Christian worldview. I, I believe, I hope I'm saying this right, but it was the Christian worldview, not, not Islamic, not Hindu, certainly not atheist that brought about abolition. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it's only the Christian worldview that can defeat it, uh, abortion now. Uh, so just want to get that, get, get that comment out there and then ask a question. What do you think of neo-Marxism proliferating the church? I'm seeing like a lot of the Southern Baptists kind of 
along the lines of social justice and racial equity, kind of, even though they're still pro-life, they're really going the way of Marxism and social justice and in, in, in the things that they're saying. And it's, it's getting kind of alarming. But I just want to hear your thoughts on that. I, I haven't seen, I did ran, run into Antifa and a few of the other groups on campuses. But um, as far as that, you know, I, I would like to hear more about that. I haven't seen much of that. I know that there's been a great talk about nationalism. Uh, there's nothing wrong with nationalism. Uh, it means that you are for furthering your own nation and its, its sovereignty and its prosperity. Uh, if that's a little uh, reflection of that uh, position and talk about their pro-life, the key thing, pro-life is something, Jesus said, I've come once again that you might have life. The gospel that I preached unto you is life. When others try to, we don't want to get into a thing where um, Hitler and the Third Reich were about life, but about German life, <laughs> and that was it. And they basically had a lot of eugenic rules and regulations. Uh, it has to be all-inclusive. Uh, our message is all-inclusive. We recognize the humanity of the child and that that is a person. 18 days, there's a heartbeat. 42 days, there's brain waves. 82 days, the child is sucking their thumb. That, whether, whatever they're going to be born or whatever nation they're going to be born, whatever, uh, that is a person that is a creation of God. And so um, I'll, I'll read up a little bit more in your, uh, what do you call it, neo-Marxism? <laughs> neo or Yeah, and, and the fact that uh, some Christians are, are kind of using the, the, the talking points of, of the Marxists, like in the Southern Baptist Convention. Oh. So, so well, they're, they're still pro-life, they're still, you know, Christian, but they're slowly adapting a sort of socialist narrative. Well, that's good. Uh, it can be exposed easily. When I say it's good, I'm glad. Uh, basically, they call themselves Christian. Uh, Martin Luther King said the two do not mix. Okay. And uh, if you remember the parable of the talents, he gave one, I think, two, one, four, five, or the other seven, something along that line. In other words, he didn't give one, one, another one, one, another one, one. It was a free market system. He, he, he recognized that the value that each got, that they were supposed to invest whatever they had. It necessarily may not be the same as the other persons. And so uh, Dr. King uh, was, if you did not know, was labeled a communist and a socialist to demonize him. But he said, because he preached the gospel there's no way he could ever embrace communism or socialism. <laughs> so uh, if that helps, I don't know. <laughs> Amen. That was very helpful. <laughs> hey, quick question before you go, Pastor. Um, are you familiar with um, race and economics, how much can be blamed on discrimination by Walter Williams? Are you familiar with his work? No, I, I've heard some other work. Oh, I forgot the name of that. But what was it? economics or something along the line. No, I haven't heard. Okay, he's just a great Christian, uh, uh, excuse me, a great uh, conservative writer. And uh, one of the things that you were talking about when you're talking about the black community and all of that and uh, the free labor, I never got back to that. So I always wanted to come back to you and see if you had read his work, man. He just brings out so much 
of uh, what the African-American can actually do if they stop uh, looking for the handout and start to work and use their entrepreneurship and their giftings. One of the things he notes is that black Americans, if they were their own nation, would be the 18th largest GDP in the world. They have a combined wealth of 726 billion, that's black Americans. And that during the time of the Jim Crow laws, the South was booming with African-American entrepreneurship because they weren't getting a handout and nobody was letting them go to their uh, hotel. So they started a hotel. No one was really wanting them to buy their hair products. So they invented their own products. And he was basically making this a call to go back to that ingenuity and to really work hard again and to be grounded in Christian values again, you know, like morality, like, you know, all of those good things that you were kind of mentioning. So I didn't know if you had heard of his work, but it really taught me a lot. And I was just going to recommend it to others who want to, you know, because that's what really all Trump is saying. Trump is a typical conservative. I was young during Reagan's time, but really to help people understand, because I have a lot of millennials in my church, I'm just right above that age group, is basically what conservative conservatism means in business is that you give people equal opportunity. That's that's mm-hmm. what the government's supposed to do, is get out the way, not regulate things to death, but give people equal opportunity. And really what African-Americans need in the inner city and, and uh, the people coming in from other countries, whether they be Latino or my wife's family from Greece, is they just need that same opportunity. And if we do that, the nation grows. But if we hold them back through our policies and through our handouts, then they never really, they grow. And sadly, and I think you were hitting on that too, that the African-American, because they were so mistreated for so many years, they, they can think that there is something owed to them now in this generation and actually right. miss what the previous generation wanted was not another handout. They just felt they were owed the chance to be prosperous here. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things that you were hitting on because when I was in the South with a lot of these African-American pastors, they never were really looking to the white man as their enemy at that point. What, what was their enemy was the white man before that white man that took away their opportunity. At that point, they were saying, let me in the door and I'll, and I'll do the thing, you know, give me the chance and that's it, you know, where now it seems like when I talk to the black African millennial now, he wants more than just the chance to take the same test, be at the same school or whatever. He wants something that he feels is owed to him. And that wasn't what his grandpa was, was getting. I don't, I don't know if you want to hit on that. But that's all I was kind of wanting. Well, that's, I, w- I wish I'd have read that book. I want to read that book because I, we've often stated us, we were uh, um, that after segregation ended, black entrepreneurship went straight down. Yep. And, and not only that, um, African Americans patronizing black stores also went down. <sighs> In answer to that millennial type thinking, James, uh, the, the singer James Brown said just what you said. Mm. I don't want anybody to give me nothing, open up the door, I'll take it myself. That was that hit. <laughs> and that's what he was referring to. He said, I'm not asking for a handout, just give me the opportunity. And as you know, he was a, a, a civil rights uh, activist of his day. The mentality has shifted. Also, what happened right after that, we need to note, and this is really the church's challenge, is this uh, 70% of African-American homes are headed by a single parent. Yeah. When at that time, oh, 186, in the early 18, 1960s, excuse me, 1960, I think the, the actual 
is taken in 1962, uh, 83% of our homes were headed by two-parent homes. Come on, yeah. What happened? What happened? And that's where we all need to sit down and recognize that's more of a church problem. Yes. We allowed this thinking to come into our churches because the churches were tremendous, booming at that time. I mean, some of the biggest churches, African-American churches, thriving at that time. Those pastors uh, should have noticed, and I'm not getting on them, so to speak, the the change of mindset, because uh, if 83, 82% of your homes are headed by, you know, uh, by uh, two parents, that would have assured upward mobility, because as you know, anytime that indeed is not the case, that the mobility upward mobility of the uh, society itself and also especially the African-American community was down. The African-American male does better married than any of his counterparts. Uh, you know, so this thing about when you read their, uh, the media uh, mindset and the entertainment, the songs, there's no songs about marriage. I, there were songs about marriage. <laughs> There's no songs about marriage. Our kids don't hear. Marriage is not anything that is glorified in the language, you know, in, in, in society. Um, going to the chapel and we're going, I mean, all that stuff was out there then. Yeah. It's not there. So um, we, we have our work. It's doable. Don't get me wrong. We have the data to prove our position. And um, the, the church, of course, is the chief facilitator of social justice and, and, and the monitor of all good in society. And it has to start there. If I thought it could be done someplace else, that's where I'd be doing, working. But the church has to be the step up. And uh, I'm encouraged. Uh, it can be overwhelming sometimes, but it, it, I'm encouraged to keep going, pressing in. Amen. On that note, we will end our live cast. God bless you guys. Uh, Make sure you support Black Genocide, and let's keep fighting the good fight of faith. Have a wonderful day. Blessings.